Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. We continue with our conversation uh, with Dusty May, who is doing an amazing job at Florida Atlantic. Um, just again, full disclosure, we recorded this one last Sunday, so they had not yet played and beaten in-state and sort of Miami rival. I know they're in Boca, but Miami rival Florida International. So, that with that as a setup, uh, talking more about Dusty May and what led him to FAU and how he has built this program into the premier low mid major, whatever, however major you, because they're not really a mid major yet. But again, I'm not taking shots. That term is based more upon scheduling and uh, and how much money's put in the program, and the level of competition, blah 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 blah. But. Dusty's doing an awesome job. No one would argue, and they're starting to push the envelope. Obviously, Conference USA, you're starting to cl- creep into the, hey, they're a mid-major. They're, they're in that conversation of, you know, if they continue at this rate, and obviously if you finish undefeated, but even if you lose a game in CUSA, can they get in as an at-large? It's a great conversation. But this part of our discussion, he was at Louisiana Tech with Mike White, okay? And we talked about his entire journey, starting as a manager, in his home state of Indiana, moving out west to be at USC with Henry Bibby and what brought him to La Tech with Mike White. So in this one, you'll hear how he got, how they decided to go to Florida, what that was like at Florida, why he even took the interview at Florida Atlantic, and a crazy story of how his press conference had his entire family there, which nearly did not happen. Plus, I'll share with you Without any question, the most humiliating loss in my college career, which was, by the way, to Florida Atlantic, but they weren't 14, 15, and one. They won six games that year. So we'll get to all of that. I hope you enjoy it. Here's part two with Dusty May, head coach of Florida Atlantic. What was, what was Mike White's style? Um, very, very unique. Where uh, I'll tell you a great Coach White story. Um, we were in the whack his first year, and we lose – a couple games to really good teams. And then we were picked probably 10th and Idaho was picked ninth and we have Idaho at home and we control the entire game and some fluke things happen. It goes overtime and they beat us. So I think we dropped 0 and 3, 0 and 4. And I walked through the locker room, walked into his office and just said, coach, I, you don't know this league. 
I said, but that was our best chance at getting one. We thought we were going to be bad. We had all these freshmen. We, you know, once again, a whole new team. I said, coach, that might've been our best chance to get one. We, we might be looking down the barrel of an 0 and 18. And I was kind of half joking. And he said, Hey, we've got five years. Keep working these guys out. Keep getting them better. We'll be fine. And I think we ended up winning nine of our last 10 made the WAC championship game. So just his, uh, you know, the process words probably overused, but just his ability to keep things in perspective that that's fine. I'm not worried about my head coaching record. I'm not worried about what it says on Wiki. Let's just keep doing the best we can every single day. And and because of where we ended up at the end of the year, where I think a lot of young coaches, especially first year head coaches, would be panicking and flipping out. So it really helped me because uh, we lost our first game in front of fans to Lynn University Division II school in a, in our city. So uh, I think that helped my perspective, just, you know, seeing him go through it. Um, What did what did he empower you to do? Because uh, you said when you're at UIB, it was more you were in the gym because Mike was out doing a ton of the recruiting. You had to manage a lot of that stuff uh, for Mike White. Let, let's and, and at La Tech, what did he have you doing? I think everywhere, Doug, you have to figure out what your niche can be around, especially when you're working with older guys who've been doing it 30 years. You, you, you know, you got to right. be careful to step on toes. So Coach Davis did the offense. Donnie Marsh did the defense. So I just – an opportunity to really help was was to be on the floor with the guys all the time. A lot of tech, Coach White gave me the defense and, and a lot of the skill work, um, and it really helped me grow because I'd worked with great defensive coaches and done a lot of stuff. But until you teach it, until you have to figure – uh, you know, problem solve and figure out solutions. You don't really know it. So um, he, he allowed us to grow and teach and coach. And, and it, it, it's so much more fun when you have input and it's a complete uh, collaboration between the entire staff. So when he said you gave defense, um, what was your philosophy at that point? In time? What did, what did you like? What, how did you like to play? Well, we, the, the first week we were all together, Isaac Brown, who's now with Charles State, Derek Jones and myself and Coach White, we walk on the floor and he says, okay, I want to press and I want to do this. This is what I want it to look like. Now, let's figure out the details, but you've got it. That's what you got. But this is what I want the end game to look like. This is how I want to play. This is how I want to do things. So it was, it was, then it was about, you know, figuring out the best way for us to play with our personnel, how aggressive press, how much trapping, how much tempo. And so we just kind of evolved into our own style based on what our guys did well, but uh, he empowered us and, 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 you know, there's a blessing. Okay. So pressing, uh, had you, had you taught a pressing style previously? Well, we did at USC. We changed defenses a lot. Sylvie and, and Damon, two separate years, both. And, you know, I, I, the, the best opportunity to learn is when you're standing next to somebody and you're helping them teach, but you're not teaching it. So it right. was probably the next best thing. So that was the first time where I've ever been thrown into the fire where they said, okay, you have this, and this is, this is your responsibility to make it work. Uh, but you know, we had great defenders, we had speed athleticism and, and we, we recruited to that system. And so there was always clarity in, in who he wanted to sign because we knew exactly what type of player he was looking for. And I think, a lot of times head coaches, we just want good players. We want it all. And it's hard for assistants because they need to be able to, to, to know exactly what you want and who you can coach. So how'd you, what'd you decide? How'd you decide to press? What was the, it was, it was, was a tempo press that we had a 90% two, two, one tempo press. And then we just, we had a couple pit bulls up front and we had a couple six, five middle linebackers on the second line. Uh, so we just, these are the times we're going to be ultra aggressive. And, and these are the times we're not. And, and a lot of times it was just our patience and poise would end up. And we were one of the top teams in the country in, in defensive efficiency and force and turnovers. It really fit who our guys were and, and, and they embraced the style. We played a lot of guys. Why don't people 
all out press. I mean, I know there are a lot of tempo presses to slow people down more, but that we, we have very few teams that, that speed people up uh, that want to take chances in the backcourt. Why do you think that is? Well, for, for us, we tried to press in year one and, and we just decided we don't have a pressing mentality. Like our guys, our guys at La Tech were foaming at the mouth to press. They wanted to do it. They were bought into it. And uh, we didn't have a pressing, we didn't have the the speed athleticism. So if the guys didn't really, really want to do it and, and I wasn't convicted, the staff wasn't convicted to do it. It wasn't really worth it. So I think it's just the, 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 it, it's so hard to score now with the pack line and the length and the size, unless you can shoot it from deep that people don't want to give up an easy basket. It's the same reason why a lot of teams will send three or four guys back just because they, they feel like if you can just take away easy baskets, the other team's not going to be able to score enough to beat you. And I think that's, that's what it is more than anything else. Yeah. I, I also think there's a certain, because everybody presses at the AAU level yeah. that they feel like guys will break it. And then you can look really, you can look really bad, yeah. you know, whereas, whereas coaches would prefer, Hey, if, I, if, I'm, if we're in the fifties or in the sixties, I got a chance, you know, we can, we, we can figure out a way to win. Whereas you get down 20, somebody's, you know, you get run out of a building looks really bad. Yeah. Uh, there's nights when it looks really good, but there's nights when it looks really, really bad. And that, that, that part coaches stay away from how did, when you guys go, so you guys go to Florida. Correct. Okay. Um, what was that transition like for you in terms of recruiting and now, even though you're on the same staff with the same guy, did anything change in terms of your responsibility? Responsibilities stay pretty much the same uh, across the board. And we were all very involved. That was with Darius Nichols, who's now the head coach at Rafford, and Jordan Mincy, who's now the head coach at Jacksonville. So we had very, we had almost the same responsibilities. But once again, it was a complete collaboration. But our probably, I, I, looking back, I think the thing I learned the most was we probably overestimated um, and the guys at Florida and underestimated the guys at conference USA level. Now, obviously there's the, the elite ones that, that there's a, there's a big difference in separation between the elite sec players. But I think a lot of the sec players take away a little bit of size and there's not much difference than the guys in our league. I mean, I think UAB has a, a roster that could compete with just about anyone in the sec physically. So I think we went into it thinking, oh, he's not good enough. He can't play in SEC. He can't play in SEC. In reality, those guys uh, in even either ended up being good SEC players or uh, were more than good enough to play there. I think we just probably overthought it early on instead of having the conviction. You're going to go in and get the guys you really like uh, and, and want to coach and, and and roll it out with that. And I think that's kind of what Coach White got to after year two or year three. Um, when What was the first head coaching job you interviewed for? Um, I interviewed, I only interviewed for one other head coaching job. I interviewed for UT Chattanooga and it, it, in hindsight, it ended up being a courtesy interview. I'd went to Phoenix for the final four and I took my, at that time, 15 year old son, we landed in Phoenix and, and uh, got the rental car and drove to the Grand Canyon, hiked down one day, stayed in a bunkhouse at the bottom, hiked out and got to the top. And, uh, I got a call and said, can you interview at 5 p.m. for the the UT Chattanooga job? And I said, well, I literally just stepped out of the Grand Canyon and I, did, I didn't bring a suit. I didn't bring any any interview clothes. I said, but I can tomorrow. What I'll do is I passed a Banana Republic outlet. I'll stop and buy a suit, shoes. And so I interviewed the next morning for Chattanooga. And to be honest, Doug, it, when this job came open, I, I, I wanted to stay at Florida. I was extremely happy. My kids were in high school. I didn't want to move them again. Uh, Florida is an unbelievable place. And Coach White said, you need to go take a look at it. And then when I pulled into Boca, I said, okay, this is 
I, I we can win here. And, and so that, that kind of made the decision for me, but I, I was, I wasn't eager to get a head coaching job at that point. I was so happy. I thought we had a final four roster or whatnot. So, um, okay. But the, so the, what did you learn from the UT chat interview that helped you that, or did it help you with the, with well, the interview? It, it helped at, me immensely. I went in buck naked, no note. You know, I'd, I'd had the books and the presentations that we all have is, especially when you start in a video room and, you know, you have to be organized. So I, I had all that stuff. I went into the Chattanooga with nothing, no, no preparation other than I just researched the AD and the president and whatnot. And so I just went in and, and afterward, it was a Parker search. They said they were really, really impressed with you just being yourself and, and being vulnerable and just being a normal person. And they said, don't change that. Don't, they would much rather have you be yourself than go in with a book and a manual about how you did it here and how you did it there. They just want to see how you are as a person. So it actually helped me where I, I kind of, you know, slowed down on all the, you know, the packets and the, all the, the first 90 days and the first 60 days, because none of that, it, you know, none of that matters. So even when I got this job, I said, all that stuff I said I was going to do, I'm not doing any of that. We have to get a roster and we have to connect with important people in this community. And that's all we did for the first six weeks. Uh, okay. So now you, so the, so the floor Atlantic, so you, you go to Boca. Who's who's in the room when you're interviewing? It was board of trustees and and then the president and and Brian had, had been associate e force at La Tech, so we'd worked hand in hand together. So I always felt like uh, this job, the the fi- two finals for the AD job were Mike Hill, who was with us at Florida, and Brian White. And so I always felt like, man, if these two guys get, it, I might have a shot to get that one. Um, so uh, you know, in, in the back of my mind, I'd always kind of kept this one, uh, it, and and I knew I wasn't going to get a historical really good job. I mean, I'm realistic and, and self-aware. So um, it, it was the board of trustees and then it, it happened quickly. I mean, literally I interviewed with the president, the board, uh, Brian in the president's office and they they brought out a contract and they said, can you do the press conference tomorrow? And I, I said, I got to ask my wife. <laughs> I, I, gotta, I call my wife. My kids are in high school. Okay. So what's yeah. that? What's the, what's the phone call like? Phone so call I call my like wife home. and say, Hey, uh, are you good with me doing this? And she said, I love you. I support you. I, I, you're going to make the best decisions for us. I trust you. I mean, it's just like, just leave me out of it. You just decide I'm good with whatever. And so um, then she calls me back and she says, no, we can't do it tomorrow. The boys have to be here. Like they, they love ball. They've been a part of this. Like they have to be at your press conference. That's not, that's non-negotiable. So I told Brian, I said, Brian, I can't do it tomorrow. Anna said, the boys have to be here, yada, yada, yada. And he said, all right. So he picked up the phone. He called Mike and said, Mike, are you coming to Dusty's press conference? And he said, yeah, why? When is it? And he said, tomorrow morning. He said, can you, can you bring his, his sons with you? So 15 minutes before the press conference at 10 or 11 AM, I don't remember now, uh, the, the private landing strip is right next to the, the, the building we're doing the press conference in, and you can see the jet land, you can see the zoom over and, and my three boys that, you know, junior high and, and elementary and high school get out of a private jet and <laughs> get escorted into a private. So it, 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 it was, a, it was, a, you know, it just happened so fast. What's that feeling like? to all that work, all that grinding, and now you got your own team. Well, even then, I, I wasn't prepared. I I watched all these press conferences through the years, Calipari's and all these guys who are such magnetic speakers, and I had all these notes and thoughts that I wanted to, to make a, a, you know, a, a really great first impression on my press conference, and, and I didn't have any of that with me because I didn't think any of this was going to go down the way it did. Um, and then when you get there, you know, they they put you in a room with, with the, the current staff, and they put you in a room with the players, and you know, you just all, all I'm thinking about is how do we how do we come up with a, a competitive roster? Because we felt like we needed to earn respect in year one. So, 
you're balancing the guys you have with with winning and you're getting all these calls to congratulate you for scheduling because everybody wants to schedule you when you're bad and you're in South Florida and you're close to three metropolitan airports. <laughs> so I, I literally told everyone that called, I don't, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. As soon as we have 10 scholarships to fill, as soon as we have a roster, uh, we'll play you, but don't call me again about playing. That's the, okay. we have to have a roster. That's all I'm consumed with. So we spent the next probably four weeks signing 10 players we had, we had uh, I think we had six official visits remaining and we had zero days to go out recruiting. I borrowed two days from the year, from the the, the the next year, so I could go watch a couple local kids and we ended up getting those guys, thank goodness. But yes, yeah, so we signed 10 or 11 guys with six visits and ended up having a, a maybe our most talented team before injuries in year one. It's interesting because, you know, you had, La Tech, you didn't have as many resources, but uh, Florida, you did. So you have a, a plan, I'm sure, in place of how you want to do what you want to do, but you go to Florida Atlantic and there's a different depth of resources. So now you got to put together a practice plan. You got to put together everything in the fall. You finally recruited your roster. What was the process like of then executing what you wanted to do at Florida Atlantic? Uh, day by day, it started with the workouts, just instilling a, a level of toughness and intensity that, that we that we work do our everyday work in and then just spending how in- how what is what how do you how do you instill a culture of toughness oh wow that's a great question um you live it day to day i mean i know a couple of times our guys would pass through the offices and be five or six and they'd say coach what are you guys doing in here still like yeah it's bokeh like what are you guys doing in the office so i think the the staff uh, displayed a hard, you know, a work ethic that, and and then every day the intensity and and every possession and the details, and we're on the floor sweating with them, and we're we're sucking wind and pushing and, and all that, and I, I I can't pinpoint it. I mean, I even had this conversation yesterday, the whole culture term that uh, people praise our culture right now, and I say well, we've been saying the same things for. 20, 30 years, it's these guys are buying into each other and they're buying into sacrifice and they're buying into all the things that we we preach every year. And so I think it's just the the living it day to day is more than anything else. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, so you go out there, you're going to coach, you, coach your first game. Your high school coach, great respected coach, Coach Knight, Coach Davis, Bibby, Mike White. Your first year, because your first year, you actually, I mean, like your first division one game, you beat Central Florida, you know, uh, oh, you guys, guys should have beat Duke. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you beat Illinois that year as well. Um, but who were you as a coach? How did you, how do you, you know, like you kind of find yourself and who you want to be when you're standing in front of your team, who were you most like that you had coached with when you first became a head coach? Most like Coach White, probably. Um, I coached AAU in the summers. Uh, when, when I decided I was going to coach college, I started because um, Pasternak and Shragi had started coaching AAU in the summers and they were older than me. So that became part of the way to get into the recruiting scene if you wanted to get into college coaching. So I coached Sean May and all those guys in AAU and I was a, a, a maniacal fool. I mean, I, I tried to be li- baby Robert Montgomery Knight. I was screaming at everyone. I was on, you know, yep. acting like a buffoon. And I realized after that summer, that wasn't fun for them and it wasn't fun for me. And it's just not who I am. I felt bad about the things I said afterwards. I I was losing sleep over it. And, and I wasn't saying, you know, I wasn't saying anything terrible, but just so, you know, I learned early on who I wanted to be. And then I think the, the I know Brad Stevens from afar and, you know, we grew up each other, knowing each other, not we're not friends, but I mean, we always do each other. So. I think he's had as much of an impact with his poise, composure, and as anyone in, in the history of basketball. I think so many young coaches went from being raving lunatics and having to put on a show and show the crowd that they didn't teach that and they don't like that shot and all this other stuff where he showed that coaches can be poised and composed and still teach and be successful without being raving lunatics. So I think that had a big impact on me. It's amazing you say that. Okay. So this is a real story. So uh, Oklahoma State fires Sean Sutton. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was at ESPN. I was pissed. I was pissed. And I was pissed, you know, like, look, I know Sean had some personal stuff going on. And the program wasn't great. And he and I had had, a, you know, he and I, because I was at ESPN, I felt like I had to, uh, yeah, as his dad had taught, I had to be right down the middle. Like, you know, you got you to gotta be honest with people. And so some of that stuff. But, but. I thought two years wasn't enough time. So uh, Mike Holder, the athletic director at the time, calls me the day after we talked. And he kind of talked me down off the ledge a little bit. He said, hey, I really like your help with finding a, finding a coach for our alma mater. So, you know, I, I, I loved Chris Lowry. He interviewed him. Sean Miller, but Sean didn't want to take the job. I was at Xavier. You know, there's talk that Jamie might want to take it. Um, Anyway, they, they end up hiring Travis Ford, but uh, after the change was made, as many ADs do at that level, they go out and they watch people coach in the NCAA tournament. They watch them coach. And I had met Brad the year before, his first year at, at Butler. They played Valpo, and I did the game, and I spent the afternoon with him. I'm like, this guy's incredible, right? Like, he's so bright. He's so calm. He's so interest. He's he's also interested and interesting. You know, he asks really good questions, and I just I was like, man, this guy's really good. So he said, "Well, I just watched Butler coach." He goes, "And I don't know anything about 
coaching basketball, but man, that guy's sideline demeanor is amazing. He's like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I want to, to run my program. And I was like, well, you know, cause I had now coach Sutton. I mean, we, he wasn't coach Knight, but he would strike the fear of God in your heart. Like we were all scared to uh, I'd coach coach Sutton out of fear. That's we yeah. were scared to death. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and whereas John McLeod, who was, uh, God rest his soul, was a wonderful man, but I felt like he lacked, he had the same sort of demeanor as Brad, but he didn't have the connectivity of Brad. Like he was super classy, that NBA style you talked about with Coach Bibby, where, you know, it was, it was, he would never embarrass you in front of the team. Yeah. But I was, my, my dad was, again, kind of Coach Knight disciple. My high school coach got, got on your ass. So I was, I was so used to being motivated that way. Anyway, the point that you're making about Brad is completely accurate that that's what how people want their universities to be represented more so than than some some other guys. Now, it has to fit your personality as well, right? Yes. Um so so now you're you're at Florida Atlantic and and all all this stuff is going, what did you like about what you were doing initially and what did you want to change about what you did what you were doing initially? Oh man, we we threw a lot at the wall and really tried to learn. In year one, we started out. We had a really good roster. Our two best players had major knee injuries and was out for the year. We brought Xavier Stapleton. He was a grad transfer from Mississippi State, and then we inherited a really good player named Jalen Ingram. And then we had a, a, a kind of a holdover guard that ended up being an all league player that had maybe averaged three points a game as a junior the year before. Just it, 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 he just flourished with confidence and whatever the case. So we lo- we loved our roster early on. I think we started off. 12 and five, we were three and one in the league. I mean, even we started off eight and one, I think eight and two before we had some injuries. So then after those guys went down, we had a just, we weren't talented enough and we had just a bunch of mismatched pieces. So we started the zone to man and the man to zone and, and our, our guards, we wanted to run ball screen offense. Our guards weren't quick enough to get their guys on their heels to get their men into ball screen. So we started, uh, we stole it from the, the Celtics when they had Isaiah Thomas, where they throw it to the big, they chase it, get it back, and now they got a, a safe bounce ball screen. So it allowed our guards to have some success. And, and we kind of just, we were learning on the fly, especially after the injury. So it, it was the best thing for our staff's growth and development because we tried freaking everything. Okay, so what does it look like now? Like, what is your program that you guys are off this incredible start? What does it look like now? What have you changed and have you, I don't want to say perfected, but obviously you're off to this incredible start. What's evolved within your own program during these five years? Um, we've obviously, we, we've become much better teachers and communicators. The, the COVID year was unbelievable for our staff and, and we didn't have our guys on four hour Zooms every day, but we we read, we studied, we got on coaches Zooms and and that was the best sabbatical that, that, that was, I mean, obviously COVID's terrible, but that scenario was the, I look at it now as coaches at some point should take a sabbatical and just go learn and study and, and, you know, reinvent themselves or figure themselves out. So it started with COVID. And then we brought in a group of, of a class of four that were all talented and they didn't play a lot as freshmen, but they were incredibly competitive. They live in the gym. And so we knew we had a, a good group of young people. Um, our older guys, uh, they, they weren't as connected as these guys. And so we had a few that, that were more about, scoring and all those other things so these young guys got to see what that did to our chemistry and our team and so it really helped them where it's not just us talking about sharing the ball and and all the you know all the details they saw it firsthand and they believed it and so I I think the competitiveness level of our guys uh the the togetherness there we have 
a, a lot of really good players. And I feel guilty. A lot of games were like, man, he played 15 minutes. He deserves 23 or 24, but we, we chalk it up at the cost of winning. So we have really good players. We have staff continuity. Our staff does an amazing job with our guys, but uh, it, it's the day-to-day approach and we definitely don't have it figured out. <laughs> we we laugh all the time now that we're having some success. Wow. It's really nice. So we've got to figure it out now. So, um, you know, we, we try to stay ahead of problems. We try to figure ourselves out before the other guys do and, uh, you know, continue to evolve on, on, on a smaller scale, but it's, it's our, it's our guys as people think we're, we're talented, but we're not ultra talented. We just have, a, a, I think the competitiveness level and the, and the work ethic is, is what's able to allow us to separate from where we were. How did you retain them? You play most freshmen. If you don't play them, they leave. Well, How did you keep them? We had four that that we we loved them all, and they just weren't ready to win. So we played the older guys because they thought. And, and and when you replace, it's never won. Winning is important because everyone looks at you as a, as kind of a joke. So you have to get respect and credibility in order to recruit, in order to get into the the Orange Bowl Classic, in order to get, you know what I mean, like all the things that come with building a program, and so. They didn't play, and and after the conference tournament, I'm walking down the stairs. This is our our second year. This is the 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 current class of four. They just finished their freshman season, and I gave our most talented guy a DNP. And I'm walking down the stairs. The hotel's under construction, and I see his mom, his grandma, and his aunts and uncles at the bottom of the stairs. I'm thinking, oh man, I'm walking into a hornet's nest right now. I walk to the bottom of the stairs. They raise their hands, hug me, coach. What a great year. Y'all are going to be so much better next year. We can't wait. And I said, you know what? He has a chance. And then another one of those guys, the next year, we're barely playing him. He's in a funk. And before the game, his dad walks down and says, coach, thank you. And I was like, huh, for what? Like, I'm barely playing him. He's shooting 20%. And so at that point, it was like, these guys have the right set of parents and support system. They have a, a real chance to make it through some fires. So I think that those were the things that that really uh, caused us to invest in them. And then we have a, a fifth year player, COVID fifth year, who's been with us since day one. That's the hardest worker, most consistent guy that I've ever been around. So I think those are the things that we've always had a model of what to look at. And then uh, the, the the work ethic is kind of permeated through the rest of the guys. Did you know that when you recruited these kids that they had this type of support system? Was that was that? Uh, did you know it at all? No, to be honest, the the our all league player from last year, who's first team all league player this year, he was. Um, we recruited him kind of lukewarm. We didn't really need his position, and uh, uh, Todd Abernathy, who, who's who played at Ole Miss and was in Mississippi, he was recruiting Mississippi at the time. Told his mom and said, "Hey, we just don't have we don't have a scholarship for him. We love him. We think he's really good. We just we want to be honest with you and wish you guys the best." And about two weeks later, we had a kid unexpectedly going to the transfer portal, a starter who was averaging 11 a game in May, I believe, went into the transfer portal. And literally, I was uh, coming out of Home Depot renting a pressure washer when he called me. And I called uh, a TA right after and just said, hey, is, is, is Elijah Martin, is he still out there? And he said, let me call his mom real quick and find out. We did a Zoom the next morning, and and he committed basically on an iPad, driving around campus on a golf cart during covid uh, so we knew he had talent, but no, we did not know that he had the character in the support system. And then uh, the John L. Davis, who had 36 the other night against UAB, uh, my assistant had recruited a kid from his school. We went in his junior year and I watched him in an open gym and just fell in love with how tough he was and how competitive and how hard he worked and and all those things. And he wanted to get out of Gary, he wanted to get away. So we thought we had a chance to get him. Um, and then Nick Boyd is Freddie Hill's nephew. He's a, has all the intangibles of growing up around the game. And then Giancarlo Rosado is a local kid who, uh, you know, we really, really wanted him bad as a six, eight uh, post player, versatile post player in our area. So the intangibles, no, we didn't know, but we knew they were really good players, but we had no idea that they were going to be their energy and, and, and uh, I guess leadership was going to be as, as contagious as it is. 
Now, did you schedule Lynn because of the Law Tech Lock Tech deal? Like you wanted to pay back for that Lock Tech deal to start? This, you started the year this year with Lynn, right? When that the school that you no, lost we, to, we your play first them every game? year. See, the first year, uh, it, it was already contracted, and Lynn was the top five D two team in the country. So I don't want to discredit that they weren't really, really good. They right. their guys would come play open gym all summer with our guys, and my oldest son at that time was probably a sophomore, and he'd walk in and say, "Dad, your guys just lost to Lynn again." And so it wasn't as if this was a, a major fluke. Like Lynn was really, really good. Uh, but th- that first game, you know, I'm I'm sitting over there and I'm trying to be, uh, I guess, probably Brad Stevens. And I'm I'm not calling timeouts. I'm not giving our guys any. I'm not helping them at all, I don't think. And the next morning, uh, my wife and I go walk uh, on Sundays after Saturday losses. We would get up and go walk the beach just to kind of for perspective. We go for a walk and she just said something like, why would you just sit there the whole day? Your, your guys needed some help. They needed leadership. And you just sat there. And I said, you know what? You're right. And so I went in the next day that that, that, that later that morning with the staff and said, fellas, I was awful yesterday. We're going to figure this out. Let's just stay the course, kind of leaning on what Coach White went through that first year. And that week we had our best week of practice and, and went and upset a really, really good UCF team with Taco Fall and those guys. Um, okay. So this year you, you smack Lynn. Then you lose to Ole Miss. What did you learn about your team when you lost to Ole Miss? Well, we we made a bunch of mistakes that were very uncharacteristic of us. We didn't have our our uh, our, our leading our second leading scorer, Mike Forrest, was was dealing with some some other things, so we didn't have him that game, and we just didn't play well. We we cut it to four or five in the last couple of minutes, had momentum, and we get a technical that that turned in. Uh, we touched the rim, and it turned into like a seven point possession. So the game was much closer, but we just it, it, we we made mistakes that we hadn't made since those guys were freshmen, and, and we did a bunch of uncharacteristic stuff. And on that trip, you know, if you know anything about the travel for us, we we so we've played Ole Miss and then we bust to Birmingham because um, we couldn't get uh, flights home and we couldn't get into Gainesville because they had a football game. So we we bust to Birmingham. We practice at Sanford the next day, and so we had a couple of days to really be together, watch film, have great meetings, and 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 I think there was one meeting that was probably a breakthrough where we all just kind of, you know, this is what we need to do. This is all of us from the the bottom to the top. This is what we need to do. And our guys weren't rattled. They realized we just needed to correct a few things. We're very talented. And then uh, the day of the Florida game, Mike Forrest got cleared and then he had 20 that night. We played really, really yeah. well. And that kind of showed our guys, I think how good we possibly can be. What, what, what is that like to bring your club back to a place where you had coached? your boys had been in high school and to get that win. What, what was that for you, like for you personally? Well, it, it was Luke. My son's a walk on at Florida. So I, I hated to see him lose and be miserable, but I think deep down he was proud. So it, it was just really odd, especially with, you know, a lot of the support people are still there that you worked with every day and you have great relationships with. So, um, you know, it, to, to be honest, it, I, I don't want to be coach speak, but like, I don't get that excited after wins and losses. Like after the year I reflect and say, wow, we were, that was special at Florida, this or that. But in the moment, like, I, okay, what, what recruits have text, what coaches have text, who do I need to get back with? And then it's on to the next game. We had a Bryant, I think we played Bryant the next, the next game. So I would say an hour after the game, after I watched our, rewatched the film, by the time we got back on the bus trip, I, it, it was all, all, everything turned to Bryant. So, um, I wish I could say there's a big celebration or I was that happy, but no, I, I think it's awesome for my family and all that and, and our players. But for me, no, it, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, you hadn't really played a close game until North Texas, right? Like you've been, uh, and obviously, you know, you hadn't played high majors up, you know, a- after the, after the Florida game, but what, what, what did you notice about your team when you played North Texas at super pits, a tough place to play. Grant does a really good job, right? And league team, 
So they, they know you, they know you really well, but what from that meeting, what had changed from the old Miss game when you got into a really tight one and, and from the Florida game, when you got a really tight one against North Texas. I think just we made so many mistakes that cost us the, the controllable mistakes that cost us the Ole Miss game where we didn't make them beat us. We felt like, you know, they beat us. They deserved to win. But I think that was eye opening that we just made so many errors that were easily preventable if we could just tighten up. So I think just the focusing on the details uh, more than anything else. And and last year we hit a stretch where we were we were blowing teams out of home because we were shooting really well. We got hot. And that's the unique thing about this year. We haven't shot it as well as I think anywhere near we're capable of. Um but the, the North Texas game, the, the poise of our guys, you know, we, we got down and you get down eight or nine to North Texas and it's, it's as daunting as anything in college basketball. And we got one to go in and then you could just see our guys belief that if we can just get a couple more stops then, then we're going to find a way. So I think just the poise and the unflappable uh, approach of our guys, it, it, it's impressive that they're as, as poised as they are uh, in those situations that not very many teams can do what they did coming back from a, a deficit late. Now, do you only go on walks on the beach after a Saturday loss, or do yes. you always go on a Sunday? <laughs> That's so your it. wife's like, you wife, your wife's like, mm, what am I doing on Sunday? I have Sunday. Oh, there's been a lot of Sundays off so far this year. Well, you just come to the office instead of having to go kind of refocus on, on it's not life or death. You just go breathe, and it, it puts you in a much better place uh, on, on those Sundays. But fortunately, we started winning our Saturday home games. So now <laughs> that's the only time I really go to the beach. I'm not, I'm not a beach guy when you're as pasty as I am, the, the sun is bad for you. So, uh, yeah, that, that was it. So we don't go near as frequently, but that was always a way for us to kind of, for, I guess, me to decompress and refocus on, okay, now this week is a, is a new week because you know, how it is when you put so much into it and, and you don't do well, it's, it's, it's shattering. Is your son going to follow your path? Is that, is that the plan? Two of them say they're going to coach. One's always said from day one, he always watches film and he's obsessed with it. The other was going to go into be an agent or be an attorney or something. And now he's shifted. He's a walk-on for Coach Dawkins at UCF now. So he's kind of caught the bug. And, and my youngest is a junior in high school. And, and I'm pushing him towards officiating. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, secretly, I always wanted to ref a game. I've, I've always, I've always, want, always wanted to do it. I used, when I was in high school to make money, I used to ref uh youth games yes and and the way the rules were were uh the clock ran unless it was a free throw and mm -hmm. so we we tell these stories all the time like the kid could be going up for a layup and the foul was on the ground like no, on no that's on the ground that's on, on that's floor. on the floor because the faster gets over it was 15 15 15 a game um what what you know like sometimes you can be winning and you can say, oh, we got to fix this thing or it's going to come back to bite us. You, you beat UAB, who's, uh, you know, considered the best team in the league, you know, coming in. Is there anything that you have your eye on your club that you want to clean up as you get deep into conference play? I think it's just the complacency that, that naturally comes from the attention that you don't normally receive and, and you start. It, it becomes a lot easier to make it about yourself. And I know that's one thing I tell myself when, when things are going poorly or when, when you know, because there's a lot of internal pressures. You know, you, you want to make your president and AD look smart for hiring. You, you want to, you know, all the things that we have as competitive, a lot of us are alpha males as competitors. Uh, you just have to remind yourself that it's not about you. And it's the same thing now where you get so much tension and you see your teammates getting these accolades and, and Dickie V shouting them out. You just... In human nature is those other 12 guys probably want that to be said about them and their families to be proud of them, the same type of stuff. So it's constantly reminding ourselves what got us to this point and we can't 
change and we have to we have to continue to improve and get hungry because now we're becoming a big game where we were always the hunter and i think now we're we're transitioning to being the hunted by a lot of teams what's it what's it what does it mean or what do you think man like look i understand you said we beat florida you're just kind of on to the next and worrying about recruits and stuff but let's say you wake up this week and there's a number by florida atlantic's name and that you're ranked that's got to mean something Absolutely. And and I remember when we when we were ranked at La Tech and, and what the community, the fans, the support, if you see our crowds now compared to the crowds when we got here, uh, you you would be amazed. I mean, it's it's tenfold. We, we have great home court environment now, even without our students. I can't wait to, to, to have a home game with our students on campus. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that number beside your name does so much for a university, for the national attention and, and all that. But it also puts a bigger target on your back. Uh, and you better be up to the challenge. Yeah. Now, the cruelness of this thing is, um, you know, CUSA trying to get trying to get two bids. You know, I, like I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the net numbers look like once you get through the league. Um, but there's now that there's this recent study of they want to expand it to ninety, right? Expands to ninety, you guys will get you guys will get two bids. Uh, but you've been on all sides of it, right? You've been in the high level, you've been the mid-major and the low-major level. What do you think about the idea of expanding it to 90? I, I do think there's so many teams now that a, a slight expansion would be good for the game. I, I, I'm, I'm torn between the co- – we play a 20-game conference season. And to me, if you win 20-game conference slate, you should be in the NCAA tournament versus who can hold it together for three. And that's just that's, – that's always been me to the core. No. Right. So, so I guess the, the question though, is this, like, I agree with you. I mean, we, we diminish the value of winning a league game, especially when you play 20 games, right? If you play or you play, you should, you know, as many as you can play everybody twice in some of these leagues, that that's great. Um, but I, I kind of think it's two different arguments, right? It's the, should you expand? No, but they should change. Like, shouldn't it be, Hey, if you win your league, you go to the NCAA tournament and then you win your tournament. You go to the NIT, maybe if you're not the NCAA team. Like, I, there's got to be some other way of doing it because I also think that, and I, I, I got to check the numbers on it. Aren't you more likely to win an NCAA tournament game if you won your league? Like, yes. it's better for the league to put their best team in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just the NBA, the seven game series versus a one game series. I mean, it's it's two completely different scenarios. Scenarios. So, um, yeah, I, I think the conference champion should be in the, in the tournament. If they do expand to 90, I would think that both should be in. I don't know how many leagues there are now, 30, 30 leagues. I guess that would be potentially 60 teams probably in the mid-40s. So that's probably half the field would be automatic qualifiers, and then half the field would be at-larges. If you're going to do it, to me, that would make more sense. So every game all season is important, and then the conference tournaments is equally as important. All right, last thing, because uh, you're going to get this question. As you said, you told me, you study all these guys. Have you decided how you're going to handle all the questions about other jobs? <laughs> yes, and I'm terribly happy here. I love building this program, and I absolutely love our guys. And if, and if they, they'll turn down the transfer portal, then it, it's it's hard not to, to to share loyalty with those guys. Okay, that's that's that, that's good. That's that's excellent. Do you do you know my history, Florida Atlantic? Do you have any? Do you, no, I, I didn't know you had any history here. Uh, I don't have a history there. Okay. We had an 81 game non-conference home winning streak at Oklahoma I State. I did know okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, but wait, here's the, here's the, here's a story to it. So Brooks Thompson, God rest his soul. 
uh, Brooks was a manager that year. He hurt his back playing with the Knicks. Okay. So he was like a manager. He wanted to get into coaching. He gave one scouting report. One scouting report. It's Florida Atlantic. <laughs> so what Coach Sutton used to do, and I don't know if Coach Knight ever did this. Coach Sutton used to do, was he would do, they weren't really goals. They were basically baselines. And when you play a Florida Atlantic, he'd write up like, you know, 80 points. We score 80 points a game. They score 50 points. You know, they score less than 50 points a game. Like, we're going to shoot above 50, above 30 from three. They're going to shoot below 40, blah, 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 blah. And it was basically like you walk in and you look at the board. And if you did that, you were good. If you didn't, you had to practice at 7 a.m. the next morning. Yeah. It was it was very easy teacher. So Brooks, the night, the day before, we had the sky report, and he did that like on his own, and it was so exaggerated, like it was. And then he said, "This is the shittiest team that's ever going to step on the white white maple." You know, he's like, "And you guys think you're any good? You're going to run them out of the gym, or we're going to have practice at seven a.m. or whatever." And here's the here's the goals. Like he did it on his own, and I, he didn't mean anything by it, right? So they're running, and you mentioned flex, so they're running flex. Okay. But they would just run flex as delay game, and they were playing small. We only had four guards eligible, and we had Glennon Alexander, the all-time leading scorer okay. state of Texas history. We had him sitting out. Uh, he was eligible like the, two games later or something like that. So they're running flex, and then end of shot clock, they go one-four flat for whoever our bigs were guarding. Wow. So if you look at, if you look at, the, you look at the point totals, I think they had one guy with 24, one guy with 20, and like four was the next highest points. One of the guys on that so, team plays, plays pickup ball with us a lot. <laughs> so, so, so he can, he can attest to this story. Yeah, I'll be asking about so, it. So, so it's a, it's a one point game at halftime. We go in and, you know, and I don't know what your guys' locker rooms are, but our locker rooms, like we're arguing with you. Come on, this is bullshit. Let's go. And coach comes in and he's like, you guys got a guard. He's like coach, man, Alex Weber can't guard there. He, he can't guard there. Like you got to see, he got a 6'11 dude guarding a 6'5 guy. Like, let's just go zone. Yeah. Coach, let's just go, let's just go zone. Yeah. Like, we a college man should guard his man. <laughs> you know, come sit next to I was like, that sounds great, coach. Yeah. But, like, we all see what they're doing. So, we started the second half, and we're playing better. Uh, and they surprise trap me on an inbounds. And I try and step through. And they take the ball from me. They go down, lay it down, lay it in. So it goes from like, we're up three to up one. And I turn to the ref and this is where the inner Bob Knight, actually inner Bob Gottlieb comes out and I got a scratch on my face and I go, that's a fucking foul. I got a T okay. and uh, they make both free throws. They make a three and I'm out of the game. And so now instead of only four guards eligible on the court, we got three. So it, it goes to hell in a handbasket. We're down like seven or nine. We come fighting all the way back. And we tie the game, and there's like a minute 15 to go. And this is 45-second shot clock era. And with like five seconds on the clock, they throw the ball inside. And Alex Weber, our center, like he kicks it out of bounds. So they reset the damn clock. Wow. We're like, oh, my God, we got to guard again. <laughs> so so we get them. They miss a shot. wasn't a good shot. And Joe Atkins, our two-guard, who became an All-American his senior year, he gets the rebound. I'm ahead of him. Adrian Peterson is ahead of me. He's our best player. We're, a, we're ranked sixth in the country. We had, we had won in Hawaii. We had just beat TCU. with uh, um, That was a top 25 team. We're going out to play UCLA on Saturday. Joe Atkins gets the ball, and instead of advanced passing to me, and he's a very good passer, 
he brings it up himself and there's like five seconds to go in the game. And one of their guys, and maybe this is the guy who's playing pickup ball, trips at like the, the, ha- the, the uh, free throw line, their free throw line. He trips, falls down, and Joe's dribbling up the court. It dribbles off his foot. And another one of their guys is under the basket. They got like one guy back. I'm at like midcourt. Peterson's down the court. And he, right when he's about to go past the ball, it hits off the kid's foot, rolls underneath the basket. And one of their guys is laying there, stands up, catches it, lays it in. They win the game. There's a, and YouTube, doing, like, there's a YouTube video of that, correct? Yes. And, there's, and then one of their kids does a cartwheel across the court. Like literally, <laughs> right. literally doing a cartwheel across the court. So for, forever, the things that, that my group is known for, and it's interesting, you talk about your group of four that stuck together. We had a group of, of six, uh, but really four or five that stuck together. Uh, my three years at Oklahoma State. We're known for, I had my shorts on backwards at Kansas. Uh, we lost to OU in our last home game after beating everybody by 30 or 40. And, hey, how about Florida Atlantic? And I had 18 assists in the game. 18 assists! Wow. I'm going to pull that up. But I'm going to pull up the, the YouTube highlights today. But I've seen the, oh, the, the, the final play, you know, through the years. But I, I, I didn't even put two and two together. And then here's, a, here's an interesting thing about the difference in coaching generations. If I was to give you sideline OB two seconds to go in the game. Would you have a play? Yes. Have you practiced to play with your team? Yes. Okay. We had never practiced. Yeah. Look, and and, and I'll be honest with you, that coach Sutton's a great coach. Okay. But we didn't like situational shit. Like we didn't, it was different. He never drew on the board. He never, and I'm sure you know this for coach Knight. Like they didn't draw on the whiteboard. Yeah. Now Sean Sutton did the plays and whatever, you know, but it's really interesting on how, like it was a decent play. And uh, it, we got a corner three, but it wasn't a good look or whatever. But the point is that how much coaching has changed in terms of oh. how uh, the situational coaching is way is coached at a much higher level than it ever was. Everybody's got ATOs. Everybody's got a plan, timeout, yeah. time score situation. And I, I think it's fascinating on how that part of the profession has changed. And I'm not sure people outside of the basketball world know it. No, I mean, even even that play, you have to teach how to execute it versus switching versus not switching. They're, they go zone. It's a, it, even some of your plays have to be able to, to work against man or zone, at least get a good look. So, absolutely. I mean, it's it's daunting how many situations you have to be prepared for. When you call a timeout, do you put in a man play in a zone play? Or, or do Typically, you put in no, things unless, that work for both? Unless we don't know what they're running. I mean, if, if it's a team that changes every possession, like UAB changes defense every possession, so – a lot of times, hey, we can run this one against man or zone, or hey, if 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 we get a stop, or if 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 they get a, if their defense is set, we're going to run this because they're going to be in this. But if it's in transition, we're going to flow into this. So there, which is too much thinking. But against those teams that that change the defenses so often, you just want to give your guys a plan. It's a lot harder when when teams switch. Uh, all right, I, I said last thing. This is the last thing. If I were to tell you twenty years ago that this would be where you are. And all of the ups and downs and the coaching stuff and the moves is a, is a life like this. Is it worth it? Cause it's, it is not easy moving your kids around, dealing with different personalities, recruiting. Is it a profession that is worth it for you? Cause as you said, you can make money doing anything. You do yeah. this cause you love it. Is it worth it? I think so. I, I absolutely love it every single day, especially when you work with, with a great staff that has no egos and everyone's working together at all times. And then you coach good dudes. I mean, that's, that's the thing too. For whatever reason, good guys have been attracted to us, and we've been attracted to to good guys. 
So that helps a lot day to day that when when you have like-minded people, and I think this is, I guess, your five, that we're all pretty like-minded now. For whatever reason, we've all kind of gravitated towards each other. Uh, so 100%, without a doubt. And if you would have said 25 years ago I was doing this, I wouldn't have believed you. 20 years ago, I probably would have said that's a, that's a possibility, but uh, I, I wouldn't change anything. Obviously, it's been hard on my family, but they, they've they loved it. They're a part of it. And having boys who love the game too helps because they're – they're your practices there. I've never lived more than three miles from, from the gym. So it's always been uh, both one and the same, the family and, and the, and the coaching. Well, continued success and help to your team. I oh. appreciate you spending all this time. Yeah. Right? This yeah. is instead of, instead of your, this is instead of your Sunday morning walk. That's what it was. That's what we substitute. <laughs> your like, FIU, they're playing great. They beat UAB last night and they beat Charlotte on Thursday. So now <laughs> the Sunday anxiety uh, kicks in. All right. Well, enjoy the, enjoy the prep and the grind. Thanks for joining me. Definitely. Thanks. I appreciate you. All right. That, 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 that's a wrap on, on part two. That was good. Interesting, fascinating stuff. And what I love about it is now, you know, I already had known, I, I called one of Dusty's games a couple of years ago, got to know the program. I played with Dusty when we, I was covering Florida when I was at CBS. So uh, there's always, but now, you know, more about the man, more about his team, more about his program. And as they become part of the national uh, basketball consciousness, all ball already gave you the background. If you thought that was good, I'm going to tease ahead. Our next pod is with Shaka Smart. And I'm only going to say this because I've been doing interviews for a good amount of, I like 21 years now in the business. We've been doing this pod for over four years. Um, there have been a lot of really good ones. This one, I believe, is the best in this context. He, he just was incredibly open about his life and his career and everything he's been through, from m- being raised as a mom with three siblings, single mother in Wisconsin, to why he chose Kenyon College, to why he got into coaching, to all the different coaching moves, to how he met his wife. It's all in there, okay? So if you like these ones, there's 0.0% chance you don't love, you don't love the Shaka Smart Pod. And I don't know, I think we'll drop it tomorrow or the next day or whatever. So gobble this one up. It's a little bit of an aperitif. Not that Dusty's not great, but Shaka is amazing, amazing. And there's more still to come from that. But my thanks to Dusty May. He was incredible. Like, you know, day after a game, last thing you want to do is talk to me. And he was great. His career is one to follow. I, I've, and, and when you research these guys, you call some of your coaching friends. And what's interesting about Dusty, same about Shaka. I am yet to find somebody who doesn't say, great dude. Oh, you got him on? Great dude. So thank you, Dusty, for doing that for us. You're now a Florida Atlantic fan. Florida Atlantic's now in the family, despite the fact they beat my ass when I was at Oklahoma State. Shaka Smart is coming up next one. Remember to listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 5 Eastern Time, 12 to 2 Pacific. You can also download the In the Bonus podcast. That's a little bit more raw, uncensored, uh, fun kind of look at sports. And we got this one. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.